Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, please visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Rob Basham. Morning, church. My name is Rob, and I'm excited to be here with you today. Today we are in Revelation 12, one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. I'm excited to be here today. I hope you are as well. I'm going to get right to it. Here's the main thing we're talking about today. We're talking about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is real, and we need to be prepared for it. Spiritual warfare is real, and we need to be prepared for it. You see, it feels kind of weird to speak publicly about this. In fact, the rational side of my mind kind of wants to take that statement back and make a more comfortable sermon here this morning. There's a bit of anxiety that even rises in me because this is the topic we're tackling today. And, and I know, you know, this is a topic that's safer in smaller groups. You know, some of you might be saying there's even kids in the room, but here's the deal. We're talking about revelation and revelation gives us these new lenses. Like Steve said in our opening, our opening sermon on this series, you know, we have these polarized lenses that we get to put on and it gives us this new way of seeing the realities that are out there, the patterns and the ways of thinking and the keys to overcoming. And so today we're putting on those, those lenses and we're just declaring that it's true. There's an unseen battle happening. And we are part of what is unfolding. And so I'm excited today to talk to you about this. For many of us in the past week, the past two or three weeks, the work of the enemy has seemed unusually real in our lives. And so I believe the timing of this message is even important. And yet, as I was preparing this message, there was an old hymn, one of my favorites, that kept coming to mind. This is my father's world. This is my father's world, oh, let me ne'er forget. Though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world, why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king, let the heavens ring. God reigns, let the earth be glad. And so as we dive into Revelation 12, I bless you today with a peace, a peace that passes all understanding, that makes that nervous anxiety dissipate in Jesus' name. Because what we have here in Revelation 12 is rich. It shows us the reality of what is happening around us, and it gives us keys to be equipped to become overcomers ourselves and join into the unseen battle. Revelation 12 teaches us how to think, not what to think. And oftentimes we can get distracted when we look for the what to think. But today I invite you to see how this apocalyptic literature shapes our worldview and how we can think about the world. As I read this chapter today, you got to understand that it is rich. It is kind of like triple chocolate cake. It's almost too decadent. There's so much going on in Revelation 12. There's all these hyperlinks going back, places that connect, these references to other parts of Scripture in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. And I think you're going to see those. If, if you are a lover of God's Word, if you metabolize it, as Steve said last week, and you have been in Bible studies for years, or you read through the Bible every year, this chapter is for you. And so I invite you as I read it to just let your mind think back and make some of these connections. See how many that you can tie together. 
Also, if you are a first century history buff or if you are into mythologies of any type, this chapter is also for you. I invite you to geek out. I invite you to look and to make the connections into this as well. If you're into the Greco-Roman theal, if like walking Athens is on your bucket list and going to those museums or ancient Egypt and you want to visit the pyramids and the Cairo Museum, this chapter is for you. And so I invite you as I read it to also consider what would it be like for the readers of John's day? What was the culture like when this was being written? Because this chapter is a ride of imagery. In fact, you might even want to close your eyes as I read it this morning, but it casts the entire redemptive story of creation through a new lens. It's a hopeful reminder. And so here we go. The layered chocolate cake of Revelation, Revelation 12. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant. She cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads, 10 horns, with seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod, and her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled to the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. Then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to earth with all his angels. And then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. And they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens, rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. When the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But she was given two wings like those of a great eagle so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. There she would be cared for and protected for a from the dragon for time, times, and a half time. Then the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth. But the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all those who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Then the dragon stood on the, sh on the shore beside the sea. 
This is the intense word of the Lord. Friends, did you pick up the hyperlinks? Did you see all the connections? I mean, Genesis 3.15 is front and center. Much of this is built on that passage there where the woman, there's enmity between the woman and the serpent and the snake is crushed, but the heel is bruised. We see Psalm 2 in there and this Messiah that will come and rule with an iron rod. There's references to Psalm 8. There's references that go back to the Israelis escaping Pharaoh in Egypt and getting through the Red Sea. There's references back to Jesus escaping as a young baby with his parents escaping and fleeing Herod and getting to Egypt. We see Jesus, or we are God's treasured possession, Exodus 19. We see back to Daniel 7, the seven horns. We see Hagar being provided for. We see Lady Zion in the wilderness. The wilderness is represented here, this crazy place of trial, yet also a place of protection purification, and where we see God's provision once again. There is so much here. There are so many hyperlinks. And for those of you that love this kind of thing, can I encourage you this week, go deeper. If you haven't downloaded our Bible study curriculum, you can get it online on our website. It's there. Pay attention to those footnotes. Study this deeper because this is an incredible work of literature. And to those of you who are the mythological lovers, those of you who understand contextualization and the theories behind it, do you see how amazing this chapter is? You see, this dream that was given to John, to me it's amazing because it shows the extravagant pursuit of God. He gives John this dream. God contextualizes the entire story of redemption, the entire gospel story in this one chapter through this Near Eastern mythological lens that would make total sense to the reader of the day. I mean, the connections here, the parallels and similarities found in all sorts of mythological just writings, it's incredible. We see ties to Babylonian, Persian, Egyptian, and Greek mythology. This story parallels the story of the birth of Apollo, which would have totally connected and hooked anyone from the Greco-Roman world. It connects back to the, the ancient Egypt mythology, the, the goddess Isis who gives birth to Horus, who's then pursued by a red dragon. This story would connect with the people that were familiar with that. There's ties back to Baal's defeating of Leviathan and Marduk kills a seven-headed dragon that took a third of the stars out of the sky. I mean, I, I look at this chapter and I just can't believe what God gave to John to declare to the people of all of these cultures. He's saying that this epic story is real. It's not mythological. It is real. God's son entered the world through the person of Jesus Christ. The enemy didn't like it. He wanted to destroy it. And John, in this flashback, gives us this epic struggle, this mythological retelling. It would have made total sense to so many of the readers Church, God pursues his people. He goes to great lengths. He does it in such incredible ways. And so this chapter, it's just so beautiful and it's so complex. And I don't really know how to put this into a point, so I'm not. Nothing's coming up on your screen, except I hope you are wowed by it. See, this, too, this passage is too rich, too extravagant. There's too many cross-references it for it to ever have been created by a human. And so as I studied this passage, faith began to arise in me. I was in awe once again of the word of God, which is a lamp unto my feet, and faith arose. And I hope my excitement, 
I hope you catch it. And I hope that faith arises and your love of scripture increases as we continue to look here at Revelation 12. But what does it mean for us? What does this all mean? This crazy epic story, what does it mean? You see, as we've been progressing through this book, we've taken a pause here from the judgments. Brian and, and, and Jennifer did such an incredible job explaining those to us. But here we get to come up for air. We get a flashback to the overall story, kind of the macro level. We get a flashback to the larger picture. We're reminded once again of the source of all evil in sin. Here, it's the dragon. But church, we need to remember that the enemy is the enemy, and this helps us paint that picture. We see the story of God's people, us, the church, represented by the woman here. And we see the birth of the Messiah, the one who will save his people. You see, Revelation 12, is, it's happy Christmas. It's the retelling of the birth of Christ, but it looks a whole lot different than it does when Matthew tells the story. It's certainly not as comfortable and as tame as we like to make Christ's interest in the world to be here in the West. You see, nativity sets like the one that's up on your screen right now, they make me wonder if we've missed something along the way. You see, Christ's birth was a declaration of war, not a precious moment. Apologies if you own this nativity set. No judgment. Well, a little bit of judgment, but not a lot of judgment. You see, instead of a straightforward retelling of the Savior's birth, we get the epic backstory. It reminds us of the reality of the kingdom of God. And church, let's not miss this. Let's not let the precious moment nativity lure us to sleep. The dragon is crouching at the door. Spiritual warfare is real. Revelation 12 reminds us to awaken to this reality. Church, we need to add the dragon to our nativity. And I know Christmas is a while, a ways off, but can I just encourage you? Let's add the dragon in there. Let's add it as a reminder of the realities that we face. Jesus' arrival declared that the kingdom of God is at hand. It didn't set all things right in the current. While he is the prince of peace, he also comes with a sword, as it says in Matthew. Families will be divided because of him. Suffering will increase. Persecution will take place. And yes, he will return again and set it all right. But in the meantime, that is the reality. There's a cosmic battle happening. It's unseen. Spiritual warfare is real. But here's the fascinating thing about Revelation, and especially Revelation 12. This part of Scripture, this part of the Bible, is our story. You see, we are written into this unfolding drama. We're part of it. We're written in. We're the actors that are part of the kingdom of God moving forward. And the question that we need to ask is, will you, will I, will we overcome? You see, the spoiler is, we know the ending. The lamb wins. The church, the bride overcomes. But in the present, there's work to be done. And we all have a role. So I want to give us four strategies to overcome today. These aren't new. We've been laying these out for you over the past couple of weeks as we've been studying Revelation. 
Steve put out an incredible sermon last week during the ice storm and during the power outages. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, can I encourage you, go online and listen to it. It's incredible. And much of what he put together there builds the framework for what I'm about to share with you today. But Revelation 12, this pause, this reminder helps equip us for the realities and for the battle that we are in. I don't know where you're watching this or listening to this, but if you're, if you're with a group of people, a family, or if you're with your house church right now, can you just imagine that the room that you're in has actually now become the war room, the situation room? You see, I want to talk to you about what we need to do to win because the church is under attack. I want to share with you some of the strategies that Revelation 12 gives us. Four things, and here's the first thing. Resistance is key. Resistance is key. See, the spiritual warfare is real, and the enemy is the enemy. Here he's called the dragon. In other spots, he's called the beast, the serpent, Satan, the enemy. He's looking to steal, kill, and destroy. He is the accuser. He's full of lies. You see, he wants you to feel condemned, inadequate, and guilty. He wants you to check out of the game because he wants you to think you have no game. But friends, you do. You see, we need to resist. How do we resist? Ephesians 6 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. But there's one key thing that I want to encourage you do, to do to resist. And that's called repent. You see, repentance is us turning from what is wrong. It's bringing everything into the light, those secrets into the light. It's keeping our confessions up to date. Just in the last couple of months, I've rediscovered the power of repentance in my personal prayer. And I encourage you to do the same. In this Lenten season, would you develop rhythms of repentance? Because nothing makes you more unattractive to the enemy than repenting. Repentance, resistance is key. Second, follow the way of the lamb. Follow the way of the lamb. That has, in many ways, become the hashtag of this series. It means meekness and humility over control and retaining power. It means finding your identity in Christ, not what others think. It means following in the ways of Jesus and not powering up. I love to power up. And yet Christ continually is asking us to walk the way of the Lamb. You see, when Christ was being mistreated and hanging on the cross, he had the power to call legions of angels to his defense. And yet... He did not. He took the costly way of the lamb. And we are called to do the same, to move forward with humble grace, slow to be defensive, laying down our perceived rights, serving others, showing love. We need to follow the way of the lamb. Third, we need to be willing to suffer. Some of us will be called to suffer more than others. You see, we don't choose what we're going to suffer through, but we do have control over how we suffer, how we respond to it. Look, I know we don't like to hear this one. We are programmed to fight against anything that threatens our comfortability, especially here in the West. 
It's a tough one. Our tolerance for suffering is low. We are quick to declare persecution or that's not fair. But the suffering in this world that the enemy causes, Christ so often redeems. He turns our shame into glory as we've sung today. He uses it to strengthen, purify, and awaken his bride, the church. And so sometimes, church, we need to embrace it instead of fighting so hard to avoid it. I love what the theologian N.T. Wright says about this chapter. He says, the church needs to know that its present struggles and sufferings are not a sign that God has gone to sleep on the job. They are a sign that a great cosmic drama is being staged in which we are being given a vital, though difficult, role to play. The other thing here, as far as suffering goes, is don't overlook Revelation 12 because it also offers hope. We're reminded of the provisions that we get to receive when we do walk in that suffering. Again, we connect the dots like we did over a year ago in our sermon series. Here we see it again. Threat is met with provision from on high. The woman is given wings like an eagle to fly to a safe and prepared place where she is cared for, calling us back to Pharaoh in the Red Sea, young Jesus escaping Herod and fleeing to Egypt. Do not miss the protective element that we get to call out for when we walk through that valley. Even creation engaged in the protection. The earth opened up and swallowed the water that flowed from the dragon's mouth. Resistance is key. Follow the way of the lamb. Be willing to suffer. And the fourth one, maintain your testimony. Maintain your testimony. That's what's going to be put under challenge. Bear witness to the truth of God and the kingdom of light, maintaining your allegiance. To give testimony of Jesus is to, re re to resist the kingdoms of this world and all they attempt to offer us. To say, I'm not giving in. You see, church, our suffering adds to the testimony, to the multi-generational aspect of the kingdom of God. Our stories of perseverance, our stories of carrying the message adds to the saints that have gone before us. It adds to the early apostles who all but John lost their lives as martyrs. All of them were put to the test and they overcame with their lives. Every initial apostle Tradition has it was martyred. You see, verse 11 is the one we always quote from Revelation 12. It says, and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. But it goes on and it says, they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. You see, church, I believe John writes this part of the vision with a tear in his eye but not simply because he's the only one left, not simply because his dear brothers who he did life and walked the earth with Christ together with all died horrible deaths. I believe he writes with a tear in his eye because he's not going to have the privilege likely to honor God and to die the way his friends did, laying down their lives, maintaining their testimony. Church, these early apostles and many from the early church maintained their witness. They had seen Jesus. They had been with him. They couldn't deny what they had witnessed. And so they maintained their testimony and they overcame. We need to do the same. This week is the five-year anniversary of when 21 young Egyptian Christians 
were lined up along the Libyan border and they were forced to recant Christ as their king. Not a single one did. I was living in the Middle East at that time and the power that that unleashed into the church is pretty difficult to explain, to capture. Church, we need to maintain our testimony, our witness. Let's recognize this upside-down kingdom that we are a part of. Let's grieve the evil and the persecution, but let's not forget that overcoming happens when the church maintains her testimony in the most difficult of seasons. And so as we leave the war room, as we leave the situation room, be equipped, be prepared. The unseen war is for real. The keys of the kingdom have been handed to you. They look different than you might expect, but we get to resist the dragon and all his enticements. We get to take the way of the lamb, develop a willingness to suffer and maintain our testimony with humble grace. Church, it won't be easy, but lift up your heads because the same power, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in us. We will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the testimony. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit at salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, Thanks for listening.